FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year, first of all. Welcome to another edition of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We're here with Michael Cole, your Grizzlies beat writer. Um, a lot's happened since the last time we spoke. I believe before we spoke, it was was it before it was before Christmas, right, DeMichael? It was it was before Christmas. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. So a we, lot a lot's happened since then. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a lot going on in, in Grizz world. Uh, so let's let's jump right into it. So before I think even before we started, uh, we had just seen reports of John Morant's comments. You know, looking at the teams he was concerned about, which was the Boston Celtics. And then he said, we find in the West. And well, since then, it's been a bit of an interesting roller coaster where they've had some good wins. They've had some bad losses. And now, as we record this, they stand second in the Western Conference behind the Denver Nuggets, like a half game behind them as we record this on Wednesday morning. So, DeMichael, I'm going to I'm gonna jump with you, start with you with this one. The Grizzlies now have, have lost to the Nuggets. They lost to the Warriors on Christmas Day. They lost to the Suns at home. They beat the Pelicans at home, and then they beat the Sacramento Kings. Those are some quality games against teams that are probably going to factor into the playoff discussion. Um, I guess, what do you make overall of just kind of, you know, how this team handled those games now going into this, you know, this road trip coming up? It it the the losing streak in particular or or the Let, overall. Let's go to the let's start with the let's go to the losing streak. And I think mm-hmm. now that they we've won these games, I, I want to be I want to I want to think about this. Have the problems been figured out, yeah. or has it just been a case of they got some good wins, but there's still some lingering things that they need to keep an eye on. I think they've looked pretty different when you when you factor in those those two stretches. So. The one thing that stands out when, when they were losing, right? They lost four or five, lost on the road to the Thunder, the Nuggets, lost on the road to the to the Warriors, and then lost the home game to the Suns. Well, the Thunder game is the the outlier here, but even in that game, uh, John Morant, you know, was ejected first half. Uh, the Thunder was shooting. I mean, they were torching hot from three. I think they shot uh, made nineteen three pointers in that game and whatnot. So there were some defensive issues there in that game for the Grizzlies. But going past that game, if you look at the Nuggets game, the Warriors game, and the Suns game, you're going to see some similar themes in terms of John Morant doing a lot, his teammates not doing, you know, as much. And there was – so over that stretch, you go to the Nuggets game, 35 points from John Morant. Uh, the next highest starter is Dylan Brooks with 11 points. And then Brandon Clark gave you 10 points off the bench. So 35 for Morant. The next closest was 11 points. Then you move on down, right? Go down to the game against the Warriors. Big knife again for John Morant. 36 points for John Morant. Next highest on, on the starting lineup, Dylan Brooks with 13 points. And then you got 13 from Tyus Jones off the bench. And Jaron Jackson Jr. gave you 11. And, of course, on that Christmas game, he was in foul trouble. So then there's that game. Then you go down to the Suns game, right? Uh, they lose 125-108 to the Phoenix Suns. And John Morant, again, 35 points. Next highest in the starting lineup, Desmond Bain with 14. No one else scores in double figures. So I think if you take that stretch in particular – not a lot of help 
for John Morant. But if you've, as you've noticed since then, Jaw scoring has kind of went down. And I can't think the first game after this stretch kind of, you know, signaled that trend. Uh, Jaw had 19 points and 17 assists against the Toronto Raptors. And in that game, they set a season high in assists and everyone was making three-pointers after a stretch where in those, in those losses, they didn't make more than 10 three-pointers in any of those games. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting thing, and it's something that I, I sort of noticed earlier in the year when when uh, when I think it was a couple of games that Bain had missed. There seems to be a formula that teams would like to have against the Grizzlies is that if Ja goes off, you'll let Ja get his 25 or 30 or above 30, but shut everybody else down, and you're good. And I think that's what teams would like to do is because obviously Ja's at the point now where – He's at that star, superstar level, at least on the court, where teams are like, all right, let him get his. You can't stop him from getting his however he sees fit. Shut down everybody else, and especially let the Grizzlies shoot all the threes they want because they're not a good three-point shooting team. And so it seems like that's a formula now that teams are trying to use, and it is something that I'm a little concerned about only because if that happens down the road, let's say middle, you know, the, he, the, the, the postseason chase – or in a playoff game, that's something you could be worried about. Is that if teams can take, you know, slow down, you know, get Jaron in foul trouble or Desmond Bain struggles, that that could be a problem. And so I, I do think that's interesting. That now that's kind of the the thing the Grizzlies have to adjust to. And I think, yeah, look, I got go a ahead, stat for you. I got a stat for you. Uh, when when you discussed that, uh, it's a it's a val- it's a valid point because uh, with the Grizzlies right now. Seven and seven when John Morant scores more than 30 points. 14 and three in games he plays uh, when he scores under 30 points. Say that again, uh, DeMichael. Seven and seven overall when John Morant scores 30 or more points. 14 and three in games he scores below 30 points in the games that he played. Of course, you know, Mm -hmm. right now this season, they are also two and three without him. In games he hasn't played, but fourteen and three is the is the number I think to take away in terms of that's the record when he scores under thirty points, and seven and seven when he scores above thirty. Yeah, that is actually a good stat, and I think that's exactly why teams are now playing for that strategy. Because now the Grizzlies, you know, they've they people have seen this team, they've scouted this team, they're not going to catch anybody off guard. The best teams are going to basically say, let Ja get his shut everybody else down. And that's something that I think if you play like a play a good defensive team like the Celtics, that's something you got to worry about. But we're talking about the Grizzlies right now. I think what we've seen these last couple games, which especially the wins with against the Pelicans and the Kings is, yeah, yes, Ja got his, but more guys were able to step up. So I think what it says is if you're a Grizzlies fan, you definitely are encouraged by these last two wins, but you're hoping that, you know, Devin Bain is starting to come around after his injury that he can find his form. You're hoping that Jaron can not just be the defensive stalwart he is, but he can find a way to contribute on the offensive end. And obviously, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to find a way to get his. So it, it, it points back to those those three guys, Dylan, Jaron, and Devin Bain. When those guys are cooking and on their game, it makes this team a lot better. But if you don't have those guys cooking and Jaws got to basically have one of those like 17, 18-point quarters – while magnificent as that is, it doesn't always translate to I can elevate the Grizzlies out of a hole by myself all the time. And so it is interesting, I think, that, yeah. you know, teams have sort of found that book on the Grizzlies. 
And and I think I don't I wouldn't even say it's more of the teams finding the books on the Grizzlies. I think it's it's also just like I mean, you've heard John Morant say it a thousand times. I've heard him say it a thousand times. His game is kind of predicated on what's happening. He he his uh level of aggressiveness and assertiveness uh from an offensive scoring standpoint is usually only, you know, at this highest level when his teammates aren't scoring as much. So I think it's when the Grizzlies are missing a lot of shots, when guys aren't, you know, making as many shots and things like that, that's when John Morant kicks it into that extra gear. So I think that's kind of plays a role, you know, into it as well, because when he's making those passes and everyone's making those shots, now you're getting a lot of guys having really good nights. And I mean, you always have to account for Morant at the end of the day. And and that's what's made him, I think, just so much more effective. I mean, even even with Dylan Brooks, you know, I, I wrote the story, you know, uh, last week about, you know, his effectiveness overall and, you know, why the Grizzlies appreciate him. And I think the stat was when he shoots over 50% in the last two seasons, the Grizzlies mm-hmm. are 16-1. and one. And and not only are they sixteen and one in that stretch, Evan, I believe fourteen of those wins are by double digit points. So they're blowing teams out when when Dylan Brooks plays efficient basketball on the offensive end. What was that record again, DeMichael? You said sixteen and one? Sixteen and one at the time where I, I wrote my now, I don't think he's had a fifty percent game since right. then. So yeah. Yeah, sixteen. But that was this season, right? And this season or over, the last over, two the past, over the past two seasons. Yeah, that's that's part of our story. Uh you can go check out about why the Grizzlies appreciate what Dylan Brooks is bringing to the table that I wrote uh last week on commercialappeal.com. So uh but yeah, that's the the big stat on his effectiveness and again, kind of going back to the help that John Morant, you know, is getting. Yeah, I thought I read that story. I thought it was interesting. Um, again, I wasn't not surprised that the Grizzlies would obviously defend Dylan because obviously, you know, this team is very much supportive of each other. You could see it when, you know, there was some criticism of Ja speaking up. The guys were quick to defend him. So what I found interesting about that story, it's kind of riff on that a bit, is it, it, it speaks to how Dylan Brooks is an important part of this team when he's on. When he's on and he is efficient, the Grizzlies are a better team because he gives you that defense and he gives you that scoring. The worry sometimes for me as someone who's watched him, you know, for four years now, but even before I was the beat writer, it's about, can he be that enough to help, you know, the Grizzlies be consistent when you need him? And I think he can be, I think he, when he, when he's on like that, his value for this team goes through the roof. But the question is again, with Dylan is there are those moments where it's like, he does take some shots to make you go, huh? He does take a foul that makes you go, huh? And I think that's kind of the dilemma with Dylan Brooks is that, um, you know, when he's good and he's on, you see his value. When he kind of free, when he kind of you know takes it upon himself to do more, um, that's when it can be a mixed bag a little bit. So I I, I like what you wrote about that, but I'm also curious from for for you, like you know, obviously the Dylan Brooks, I call it the Dylan Brooks discourse in in air quotes. Um, it's not going to end this year because clearly Dylan Brooks. There's a lot going to be discussed about him. The trade deadline will be coming up soon. Obviously, him being a free agent after the year is going to play a role in this. From what you reported and what the sense you get, how do you feel like, you know, going into the meeting of the season, how will Dylan Brooks' play kind of maybe affect where this season goes? We mentioned that teams, you know, are going to key in on Ja. 
How important is Dylan Brooks going to be as a veteran, as somebody who's played well in the playoffs and also struggled, but as someone who's been that dude before, how important is he going to be kind of going forward as the season kind of gets to that stretch of January, February, when things kind of, you know, get a little bit, you know, tight a little bit before and after the All-Star break? I think what we've seen over the past three games is how important Dylan Brooks is to this team as much as anything. As as much as anything, uh, when the Grizzlies, we mentioned the losing streak, right? Uh, losing four or five games, and then they turned around on the 29th, 31st of December, and then uh, January 1 on New Year's, they beat the Raptors, Pelicans, and Kings. And against the Raptors, Dylan Brooks guarded Pascal Siakam, who was the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week, uh, one of the hottest players in the NBA. 25 points, 10 boards, 8 of 19 shooting. Uh, for Siakam, and this 25 points came after he was he had games of you know 35 points, 50 plus. I think he had in one game, and I mean he 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 just was playing some of the best basketball in the NBA. Then he comes back in the next game against the Pelicans, where I, and I also wrote about this as well how the Grizzlies, and and total you know kind of figured out the formula to containing I mean to containing Zion Williamson, you know at this point of his career. And Dylan Brooks was the head of the snake. He is the guy who was assigned as the primary defender on Zion Williamson. And you can make a strong argument that two of Zion's worst three or four games this season have come against the Grizzlies. And in this game, he shot six of 16 from the field, 20 points and nine rebounds. But he had a career high nine turnovers and was minus 16 uh, from the field. Dylan Brooks played a huge role in that. And then after guarding, you know, this 6'8", long, slithery Pascal Siakam guy, and then guarding this, you know, 6'6", 280-pound guy, next night he has to guard one of the fastest players in the NBA and De'Aaron Fox. So uh, in that game, you know, De'Aaron Fox, 19 points on 7 of 18 shooting. I think there it is. There, There is the importance of Dylan Brooks. There are not too many guys in the NBA who you can say, hey, on one night he's guarding this guy, on the next night, he's guarding, you know, a 280-pound guy and, you know, just going down the list that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dylan's, Dylan's defensive impact has been well-known and respected on this team and by people who know. I even remember, you know, two years ago, Jai was banging on the table that Dylan should be all defensive team consideration. So this is not something that is unusual, but I find it to be something that is getting more and more attention by, you know, NBA heads and people outside of, you know, the writers and everything. So Dylan Brooks' value is undeniable. He is important to this team. The only thing you hope is that, again, as much as Dylan Brooks is such an important figure, you the Grizzlies are going to need him to be that valuable piece on both ends, being that efficient guy. Um, because clearly, when you have Dylan Brooks, and I, to me, the best version of the Grizzlies is Ja probably getting about 25 and 10, Jaron getting you three blocks, 16, 17 points, Bain giving you the rent, the long range and getting shots at the basket too, and then Dylan Brooks being the two-way terror on both ends. When those four guys are operating at their peak and at their best, this team is a force, as we've seen. And that's what I think we're going to see as these guys, obviously, as Bain gets into shape and gets more comfortable. That's one thing I'm going to be watching for this month is how will those four guys, and of course, Steven Adams getting his rebounds too, how will those four guys grow and get better because the Grizzlies are going to need those four to be a terror and to be at their best if they want to continue to maintain where they are in the West. So 
Um, one thing I want to point out to you, going back to Josh's comment about we in the West, or we find in the West, I'm going to read this stat here. We'll see what you think about this. The Grizzlies are 11 and 10 against Western Conference teams and 12 and 3 against Eastern Conference teams as we head into, um, as we record this Wednesday again, tonight's game against Orlando. So I'm going to say it again 11 and 10 versus the West, or excuse me, against the Hornets. Sorry, excuse me, they play the Hornets tonight. Um, they're 11 and 10 versus the West, 12 and 3 versus the East. Um, for me, I think it just shows how good, how tough this Western Conference is, and just how really that it's you know it's going to be a free for all <laughs> until some teams separate themselves. To Michael, what do you think about that? Because again, I don't mind John and being confident about the West, but the West right now, as we are you know thirty something games to the season, the West looks like it's going to be a, a dogfight. So, do you think that that record against the West should make fans a little bit concerned that despite what Josh says, the West is not going to be a picnic for the Grizzlies? Yeah, I, I I don't think it's much of a concern. I think it's just it's a reality that look, the West is just really good. And it's not one team, it's not two teams. It's you can make an argument, and we were saying this at the beginning of the season. Uh-huh. You can make an argument for six, seven teams coming out of the Western Conference right now. You know, I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, a team like Golden State, who I believe is is sitting around what at eight right now, that they can, you know, uh, turn it on in a second half and 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 get hot. I mean, they're ninth, but the Suns are eighth. And you know, one what about when they get back healthy and Cam Johnson and Devin Booker and those guys? Will they be able to turn it around? Then you go to the Clippers who haven't, you know, had their full lineup for the most part of the season at this point of the season. The Mavs are probably the hottest team in the Western Conference right now. Then your top three are the Pelicans, Grizzlies, and and the Hornets. So even the Pelicans, we haven't seen the CJ Zion and Brandon Ingram trio, right. you know, enough right. this season. Even though they're having success, so you can make an argument for a bunch of teams out of the West. And in the Grizzlies' case, they are one of those teams. You can make a strong argument for for the Grizzlies and what they're doing. And uh, at this point, you know, I think they're playing. Really solid basketball. Like you you mentioned, you know, the keys there. And I think what the Grizzlies have working in their favor, why this thing works for the Grizzlies, is because they have players who star in their roles. You know, not necessarily superstars, but you can make an argument that they have five guys in their starting lineup who are among the best at what they do. You can say Steven Adams is one of the best rebounders in the NBA. No one's going to, you know, call you crazy for that. You can say <laughs> Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. No one's going to think you're crazy for saying that. You can say Desmond Banks, one of the best shooters in the NBA. And you can say Dylan Brooks is one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And you can say John Morant is one of the best point guards in the NBA. So you players. have players. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> We'll just, we'll just expand that and say John's one of the best players. As it, one of the know. best players, point guards. Yeah, I mean. Point guard is the the premium position in the NBA, so it go hands hand in hand. But yeah, yep. So you could say that, and you know, all in all, uh, that puts them in position to be one of those teams. But uh, I will say there are some teams who I think, you know, you have to say, hey, yeah, we're we we may think we're fine in the West, but uh, you're gonna have to bring your best basketball to beat these teams, and you know. To me, there are a few teams that stand out, but uh, who who are those teams? Teams to you at this point? Yeah, obviously, you know, you look at the Denver's, you look at the Pelicans, 
Dallas always is a bad matchup for the Grizzlies. We know. Um, I thought the Kings would be a much more tougher one, but the, the, the Grizzlies. I think what I learned from that Kings game is the the Kings reminded me, and I said this on Twitter. They kind of reminded me of where the Grizzlies were two years ago. They're learning how to win, how to finish games, and the Grizzlies showed them by running away in the fourth quarter. So that's going to be you know the key the thing for me is can the Kings stay strong as the season gets longer and they face tougher teams and they learn how to how to close games out. Um, obviously lurking in the distance, you know, the Clippers, who I thought would be a lot better this year, but it seems like, you know, it depends fully on the health of Kawhi Leonard. Um, but I think, honestly, like a team that scares me and something that I'm, you know, thinking about is, is Portland. Like, obviously, Phoenix and the Warriors, you know, they are battle-tested. Check back with them near the end of the year. But Portland is a team that last year obviously had so many injuries that, you know, they were kind of out of the race. And then when Dame basically was done for the year, Damian Lillard, they basically weren't in it. But if they're in the if they're in the mix and they're playing at a high level, that's a team you always got to watch out for. So I think I, I admire John Moran's bravado, but I would say the Grizzlies have to be very careful because while they can match up with anybody in the West, anything can happen. Like right now, as we record this, six and a half games separate the top 10 teams. That West is going to be yeah. shuffling. It's going to be shuffling probably you know, for the next month or so, or maybe even right up until March, who knows? But I, I would say that the confidence the Grizzlies have is great, but there are teams that absolutely can get them on the night, and it won't be a surprise, it won't be an upset, it'll be a case of, like we just said, the West is very tough. So I, I think going into this year, this 2023 part of the season, I would like to, I'm curious to see how the Grizzlies navigate this, how they, you know, deal with being the hunted because they've never really been in that position before. They've always kind of like come up out of nowhere. Now they're recognized as a team that is a, a contender as a force. How will they deal with that? Because this month coming up, I was at the schedule right now. They're going to have some tough games, especially after we, you know, get back from the ML, you know, the MLK holiday. We'll probably get into that closer, but you look at that schedule. They got Phoenix on MLK day. They got Cleveland coming here. And then they're on the road for a five game stretch against the Lakers, Phoenix, Kings, Golden State, and playoff nemesis, Minnesota. So there are a lot of things this month that could be hurdles, but it also could go a long way to see if they are really fine in the West or is it going to be that that battle every night as we've seen so far? Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be that battle for sure. It's just with who, you know, you, you mentioned some teams there. I think right now at this point, you know, a couple that stand out to me, uh, Golden State, at the top, you know, first and foremost, I think, yes. you know, you talk about how tight the West is right now, how slow Golden State starts this season. I think once Steph Curry gets back, Golden State will be in position to go on one of those runs and they'll finish somewhere in that top tier. You know, they're not going to be in this eight, nine uh, play in range, I think, over the totality of the season. So I think that's one team, you know, that stands out. I think that's the D team that stands out. But then there are a couple others as well. I think the Pelicans still stand out to me as well. I know the Grizzlies are 2-1 and one against the Pelicans at this point. But a big reason why the Grizzlies beat the Pelicans in each of those two games is because one of Zion Williamson's co-stars were missing. For example, uh, the Grizzlies have kind of, and we've talked about this, you know, how they've built the defense around guarding Zion Williamson and preventing him from scoring in the paint by putting – uh, Dylan Brooks on him as the primary defender and having Jaron Jackson Jr. and Steven Adams kind of, you know, protect the rim 
and kind of, you know, just crowd him. So with that being said, you know, when, when you have 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 that type of attention on one player, you're basically trying to make the other guys beat you. And what's what's happening is in that first game, the guy that they were focusing on was Zion and they CJ McCollum had to do a lot of work and he eventually did. But they kind of bottled up uh, Zion enough in that game. I mean, bottled up CJ enough in that game in the second game. I'm sorry. In the first game, it was Brandon Ingram and he got hurt <laughs> at the end of the first half. So we basically we haven't seen the Grizzlies play the Pelicans big three. And when they play the big three of the Pelicans, I want to see how the defense kind of adjusts then because it's okay to say, Hey, you know, they put Desmond Bain on TJ McCollum in this past game. And then in the previous game, they put John Conchar was guarding Brandon Ingram. But over the full course of those games, you you probably want Dylan Brooks on one of those guys, but then you take him off of Zion and you switch your defense up on how you guard Zion. I think the Pelicans are going to present present a bigger challenge when they're fully healthy. So that's the other team that I'm looking at right now. And then there are a couple others in there. I think Denver is an interesting one. I, I you know Denver's had some struggle defensively, but we saw they can really break the Grizzlies down uh, offensively with with Jokic and what he can do. And and you know. They beat the Grizzlies, and Jamal Murray didn't play in that game. You know, uh, I think Michael Porter Jr. didn't play in that game. So uh, when they get those guys back, you know, healthy against the Grizzlies, we'll see how that changes some things as well. But I think Denver is the other your really big threat. But uh, I think it all starts with Golden State for obvious reasons, and that's the team that they'll get to play. You mentioned the January slate, uh, that five-game road trip. The West, I'm sure we're going to talk about it later this month, but that's yeah. – that's going to be the really next uh, big series of games where it's like, uh, as as Taylor Jenkins Taylor Jenkins likes to say, it builds character. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, we'll leave it on that note because obviously there's a lot we can get into, but we'll save it for the next edition of the Grizzlies podcast. So for DeMichael, I'm Evan. Everyone have a great hope you hope you all are enjoying your 2023 so far, and uh, we'll be back soon. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.